I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. We would like to acknowledge the Shumash, Keech, and Tongva people, the traditional custodians of the land this podcast is being recorded on, and pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Salad or Dolly, threw a great party, we all drank Bacardi, it got kinda gnarly, we're light as a feather, we're tougher than leather, together we're weirder, we're weirder together. Whoa, squeaky table. Whoa. <laughs> Hello. Hi. Weirder together. Here we are. I'm Ben Lee. And I'm Amy Sky. And you are staring at your phone with the type of intent that like, uh... Some premeditated crime that is about to be committed. I just was trying to remember who wrote the lyrics. Calvin Klein's no friend of mine. Don't want his name on my behind. Oh, okay. And are you finding any answers on that phone? Run DMC. Cool. So that, <laughs> that's great. Who's your favorite band from the 60s? My favorite band from the 1960s? Yeah. Uh, I suppose... Or two. It's hard to do. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you sort of tell me that I got you into Dylan because of. Oh, 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 oh. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, because of ISIS. But I I, I kind of feel like it seems impossible that you weren't already into Dylan. No, I was into Dylan. I didn't know that record. Oh, okay. I didn't know Desire. So. That's right. Yeah. The. the as basically as we met, the record I most closely associate with us getting together is Desire by Bob Dylan, because it was a record that I remember there was a turntable right over there behind where I'm sitting, and your brother, Dono, was, he'd put on Desire by Bob Dylan on vinyl, and he was mouthing along to that, I was thinking about turquoise, I was thinking about gold, I was thinking about diamonds and the world's biggest necklace. And that that was the first time I'd heard that record, because I really only knew... I got super into the early folky stuff. Yeah. And then I'd gotten really into Blood on the Tracks. Mm-hmm. But just that whole desire. What's like that, on Blood on the Tracks again? Blood on the Tracks is like Tangled Up in Blue, oh, okay, Shelter yeah. from the Storm. Mm. It was like his, you know, quote unquote divorce album. Mm. Um, but Desire is this record that it's funny that I so closely associate it with essentially like meeting my true love because it's the most it's kind of his most wild and romantic record in a lot of ways. Um, it just sounds, it's, it's one of his most sensual records. Like it's got, it's got, it's got real grooves on it and it's got, it's just these very romantic stories. And you know, he, he, he's so good at bitterness, Yes. but this record doesn't really have any bitterness yeah. to it. So yeah, that's so true. Yeah, I love that album. I know it's really good. How did you get into Bob Dylan? I got into, well, that album, Matthew Horowitz, got me into it. But before I was into Dylan, like the songs I remember when I first started driving at 16, I definitely was listening to Dylan. Billy. Like like early, yeah. like what sort of era? Well, I I mean, at first, like I had an album. I think, you know, we had a lot of albums in the living room, but then I got a little portable player and I pulled, just would pull some up to my room. 
And I remember feeling so sad for Don't Think Twice It's All Right because it makes me really sad about my dad because it's like about sort of being overwhelmed by a woman. And even there's a line, you know, she had a child, I'm told. Um, but she... she I think she was a child, I'm told. No, no, I think it was... I, she, oh, really? Yeah. Of course it was. I, I loved a woman, a child, I'm told. Oh, I thought She wanted my meant... heart, but I gave her my soul. Oh, I guess... Still, I... you heard it how you heard it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, yeah, and just I felt like that abandoned... Like, you know, my mom, I felt like it was sort of like the way my dad might have felt about my mother. Like it was too much and he's just moving on and it was too heavy so but at, so yeah at 16 I was into Dylan I think just having albums around the house and also in the 70s I think Dylan was still being played on the radio right yeah well that's probably Lay Lady Lay yeah, the, yeah you know I you know I went on a funny trajectory I'm just remembering now with Desire with that album because shortly after I met you or just before around the same time I met Fiona Apple and that was something we bonded over that she loved that song Isis that I'd just recently oh. discovered. And she told me that when she was growing up in Harlem, she used to put on roller skates and ride around the dining table in her apartment just with the song Isis going on. Oh, and, yeah. And me and Fiona got quite close just as friends. And then life got very busy for her and she got very famous when her first record kind of really blew up. And I remember I felt really abandoned by her. Like, you know, that fear. It's a very, sure. it's a, look, it's a very LA type thing. Like people listening to this in other places wouldn't probably have the same experience. Unless you have a friend who like starts succeeding in some ways and they sort of, you know, you, you, can't, sure. you can't reach I them think, anymore. Yeah. But so then I remember I bumped into her like two years later in New York at a show she was playing for MTV's Rock the Vote. And she was with David Blaine at the time. And she came in and I hadn't seen her for two years, but I'd like tried to reach out to her and hadn't been able to find her. And and she hugged me like really nicely as if like so good to see you again. But I had a lot of resentment right? Um, sort of about our friendship. And I got really drunk that night. And as she was playing on stage, I kept yelling, Isis, Isis, oh, like, no. like, like requesting it, but also like just being sort of hostile. And I didn't even really, you know, have you young, guys made up now? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, oh, okay. yeah. Um, but so, so I, I was sort of, and then I remember at one point of the show, she stopped, she stopped in between songs. She said, I don't know Isis. Okay. And not <laughs> oh. even, not even realizing that it was me who'd been oh heckling. And I just realized, wow, I'm really like derailing someone I love's show. Like this is so horrible. Oh, God. But that's the kind of thing you do at 19 or 20 when you have no idea what to do with your emotions. Yeah. You like know. when I when I punched my brother in the balls because I was like overwhelmed with just love for him. Wait, what? No, I just I remember <laughs> I was young and we were sitting on a couch and I just bashed him <laughs> in between the legs. Not just when you're young and you get overwhelmed and it's just an indirect response to just feeling either a lot of excitement or a lot of anger. You, it comes out in the weirdest way. Totally. Did he turn to you and say, I love you he too? He just said, oh, why what? did you do that? Why did you do that? You discussed this a few episodes back. You wanted to see me in Tidy Whitey's Budgie Smugglers, and I'm in them. Last couple of days, it's a whole new experience. Yeah, they're 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 comfortable. They're comfortable. A lot more support than I'm used to. Mm -hmm. I like it, and I feel I do feel like 
Because you know I am entering my gay icon era Yeah, right now. They're, they're very appropriate. Yeah, because you've gone very gay icon for lesbians, but you've got to kind of I go more. You know, it's funny because my... For men. Yes, my the support and the love I felt from the lesbian community from way back. When did you first realize you were a le- lesbians loved you? I first realized when I was supporting Rufus Wainwright in probably 1997 or 19... Yeah, 97 about... And it was, we were playing in a little theater and it was silent between, there was clapping and then it got silent between songs. And then someone yelled out, Ben Lee, the lesbians love you. That was the beginning. Wow, that's a clear. That's a clear message. I heard it loud and clear. Yeah. I'm... And then this week I posted a little thing on Instagram. Well, I, I tweeted because the Tegan and Sarah have a TV show that's just come out. That's all about growing up queer in high school and, you know, their experience. And I made a joke about saying um, that I was going to sue them for admitting the fact that they actually both had crushes on me. I'm the only guy apparently they've ever shared a crush on. Oh. And they confirmed it. And then very interestingly, all of these sort of uh, lesbian fans came out of the woodwork after that tweet. A whole lot of love, whole lot of lesbian love, I'm feeling. That's so nice. And someone did say that my Ben Lee is a homeboy t-shirt. The mad step on Instagram said every queer high schooler in the mid-2000s had a Ben Lee is my homeboy t-shirt. That's just history. <laughs> so there you go. Well, I know my ex. That's the history they're not teaching in schools. My ex, uh, May Lee, like covered a couple of your songs in her band. What was it called? Juan 316? Oh, that's like John 316 from the mm-hmm. Bible. But Bible Juan. Quote. Yeah. Because we're from LA. And her style sort yeah. of had an LA style. And if you grew up in LA kind of in the you know public schools or whatever schools, like LA is very Hispanic and. You know, so you feel close to it. It's what I miss when I go to Australia sometimes. I'm like, where are the Mexicans? Yeah, it's not. There's want... a, it's quite a multicultural society, but there's not a large Mexican <laughs> of course representation. I want, I want the one thing I can't have, but I'm like, where are they? I'm yeah. used to, you know, I like it. Yeah. And we went, and when I was in a lesbian scene in the 90s, which was a golden era. There was one guy that was sort of the Ben Lee of the group, the straight guy. Oh, yeah? Don't remember his name, but his... He, he got to hang, though? Yeah, he hung. Yeah, he, he hung, hung with the crew. Hung, yeah. Yeah, there's been some good good hangs, a lot of lesbians around. I, aside from some of my cults were homophobic. So oh. that was, those were brief periods That's of always the, not re-embracing the lesbian what community. What cult isn't? I, I mean, know, what about that one? Homophobic? I know, except for that one with the guy who really the wore German guy. a budgie smuggler. That's right. What, which, that holy if, hell, that documentary, holy yeah, hell. Yeah, an American's a budgie smuggler. Is it cringy, that term? No. But it's an Australian term. Maybe for... to bird enthusiasts it is. <laughs> yeah, really. The you're not meant to smuggle birds. No. Well, the, especially But in this undies. is little tidies. Un, it's more like bathing suits. Yeah, bathing suits, yeah. And that, you know, the budgies, the stuff and the smuggle. It looks like you're a little badgery guy in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that documentary Holy Hell, we met some people who had come out. We were where were well, I think we were in Austin. Yeah. And I was doing a house concert. That's right. And someone, I don't know if Had we were talking left. about cults or something, and someone was like, I was actually in this And cult. then we you came should... back to LA and there was a documentary about it. And that that's was, an amazing documentary. That's really it's good. It's deeply. Because it, the style is amazing. Yes. Usually, do, like, cults have sort of either you're in the, you're in all whites or the all oranges, which was, uh, 
not Father Yod. No, um, Osho. Osho, you're wearing orange and reds or, you know, some look. And this was very 80s. And so it was really funny. Yeah, that, that definitely the aesthetic was different. And also it wasn't austere at all. It didn't have a sense of... And they didn't have drugs or anything in it. They just... may have forgotten that, yeah. There was sexual abuse. That does happen in yeah, a yeah, lot yeah. of these cults too, yeah. But... um. But, but yeah, yeah, that's a pretty hom- amazing doco. Homophobia, down, thumbs down. I, I wonder, though, what it is. I, I guess cults sort of position themselves often in opposition to the modern world. It's like fundamentalist religious people of any kind. They sort of like part of their sales pitch is the world's going crazy. Stick with us and we'll take you back to the original idea of how humanity was meant to live or something. I know. So so liberal or progressive ideas seem to be just naturally part of sort of the enemy of evangelical religious movements. Yeah, and even the ones I would have thought like hippie stuff wouldn't get homophobic, but I guess they go back to like pure not marriage, but like sacred I don't even know. Yeah. Not into that. So we were talking earlier in the week and you were lamenting the fact that you never got to go on drunk history oh yeah and you were saying you would you wish you'd gotten the chance and i was thinking we should not today because we probably have to prep for it and i'm not sure it's a we generally record our pods at like nine in the morning (laughs) yeah but we should give you a little drunk history moment on one of these podcasts i would love that um should we take we should take suggestions on what the theme like if we were if i only were to get drunk and give a brief teaching on a period of history. What do you guys, the beautiful babies, want to hear her talk about? Which yes. do you? What are your periods of expertise in terms of history? Like soberly, what would you be able to? Possibly old Hollywood. Um, Some Russian little... stuff. I feel like. Well, you know the, yeah, that? that's pretty new. The Romanov slightly. Um, I. What do you mean new? Well, knew that I had sort of learned and became oh, interested. Oh, as an adult. As an adult. Yeah, I was a very, real Anglophile, so I was very interested in, you So, know, like, the, the the royal family around guess, World War II and stuff you could I'm, probably do uh, about, around like, World War II. the crossover with the Nazis? Maybe. You know a bit about that? Um, the Mists of Avalon. Okay. <laughs> That's not real. <laughs> Blue Lagoon. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, no, what, I, what will you drink? Like what would be your tipple of choice if we had to do this in the morning? Well, we could do an afternoon taping yeah. or an evening. I mean, I guess we should do an evening just to really, you know, get in the mood. Whiskey, maybe like champagne and whiskey. I don't know. I don't know. It's funny. You're so, I do love history. I mean, as a kid, I was sort of nerdy about it. I had a best friend who could draw any time period, like, say what did people wear in the 1700s and we would draw dresses and she knew now I would know from the turn of the century like I could draw each decade what people wore especially women maybe not so much men but pretty much it's useful for playing that game timeline if you can tell the clothes that's true yeah but sometimes the pictures throw you off but yeah so but you whenever we ask you what time period would you love to live in you're it's just not fun for you yeah, I've never been that compelled by the idea that there were less problems or more type of ecstasy or something. I mean, I understand like things like, okay, living pre-AIDS or something like that. If people oh, yeah. have like the idea your, that- your, your, your barometer is partying. <laughs> like how can you party without 
Which actually, that's nice. Yeah, so I understand that. But I've never thought like, wow, you know, my life would genuinely be happier if I got to wear, wear a certain type of corset or shoes or something like that. Yeah, for sure. Or drive in a certain car. Or, yeah, you know. and even, I mean, I knew one couple, Arthur Africano, who was a friend of the Beastie Boys. He had a girlfriend for a while. Maybe they're still together, married, I don't know. But they both dressed, you know when people dress in a certain time period for a while? Yeah. Uh, I feel like it was like the 40s or something. And you find your person where you just dress together in a certain time period. Also, I had one amazing night with him where we were sitting outside on a stoop. And he loved, genuinely loved Tom Jones and was like singing Tom, Tom Jones songs. And I was like, this is so cool. Like to genuinely love something. I forget who these artists are. There were two artists around New York in the 90s, and obviously probably they're from the 70s, but a gay couple, two older men, and they dressed everything they did. They didn't, like, use anything post-1930 or something. Did you ever meet those guys? No. Did they live at the Chelsea Hotel? I, probably, yeah. But they. Um, were, I remember they came I to a party. Who um, did their honeymoon? Was it? Oh, Courtney? that was Courtney Taylor. Taylor from the Dandy Warhols. His honeymoon. He tried to travel, you know, like on through not, Europe on trains. Yeah, I knew one guy, Johnny Chrome and Silver, and he also had every like a 1940s car and he he also dressed kind of with his girlfriend like that it's fetishistic yeah yeah i mean i get it i just i'm lazy i wouldn't i just feel like i would uh you know i admire people like janixa travels on an airplane in like a three-piece suit yeah i think those ideas are always conceptually like kate my stepdaughter she had that idea that she was gonna one whole semester of school only wear these what was it it was like a big kind I, of dress it was like I, a white and she was getting them cut like from a tailor yeah they were there was well that idea also that you have a day dress and a fancy dress like in um you know jane eyre or something you had like two daytime dresses and then one kind of fancy dress how I do mean, you keep things smelling good i think you don't or you have a lot of underclothes. Maybe oh, okay. you just wash the under stench. the underclothing. Yeah. <laughs> I think. And a lot of bowls, like doing a lot of French baths. Maybe. Oh yeah, constantly. Maybe. I did have that when I lived I lived with um Max Perlick, um that great actor. He was in drug if, if you anyone knows Drugstore Cowboy, he was a, he's a, he's a character actor. He's great. He also was Bueller Bueller in First Bueller. He had a great cameo. Anyway, I lived with Max and just as a friend, but I had a basin, like a uh, Victorian basin in my room. Like I did love the idea of it, like washing your face with a basin before bed, but I didn't, I just had it as a, you know. You didn't do the little splashes in the undercarriage and everything? I didn't, I, d I used the bathroom. Together we're weirder, we're weirder together. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
Should we talk about Brock Enright yes. and Vague Data? Vague Data. So, so yeah. So, yeah. So, we why have... don't you just start with talking a little bit about who Brock is? Okay. So, Brock so Enright is from Virginia Beach. I met him through my friend Daphne, who um, is... Super fan. We're together, super fan. Should we listen? Yes. <laughs> I met Daphne by doing a play in New York, a Jonathan Mark Sherman play, and she was doing the costumes, and now she's... Um, we're getting into the weeds with backstory. Let's, yeah. Okay. So um, he's really like, he, it's so hard to explain, but he really feels like an artist. And he's, with artists, it's interesting. I think you have to be really up on yourself. Like confident. Confident. Like deeply confident. Deeply right? confident, which I totally get. And he, so, you you know, he he's had a lot of success and he, so he's from this crew in Virginia Beach that were like these like rough, cute guys. And there was a big st- article in the Rolling Stone about them because you could tailor make your own kidnapping. And he and his yeah, friends- Yeah, you could basically hire them to consensually kidnap you within certain parameters. And they'd sort of craft a experience for you. Yeah. And this was in the early 2000s. They wore those sort of bunny- uh, hats and things but it was it, very surreal surreal yeah. and they did it kind of before it became sort of oh everyone's doing uh, not that everyone was doing it but they were they were just like truly hip you know the way like chloe Sevigny was sort of ahead of her time in in different things so that was fascinating that whole kidnapping thing was quite fascinating and also his his final project for the art school was something to do with his mom bodybuilding. Yeah, right? his mother became a bodybuilder and it was sort of an interesting thing because for him, I think it's hard when your parent completely transforms um, into an almost, when you become a bodybuilder, you're completely changing your whole thing. So he did a performance piece to the eye of the tiger with her <laughs> lifting weights and stuff. And then another thing he did, in, he got punched by his professor. He was just like fresh. He is frustrating, I'm sure. I mean, I've never been frustrated by him myself personally. He's a very talented artist. Person. And there's a great documentary that we actually rewatched last night called Good Times Will Never Be the Same yeah. about him and his wife. And he's preparing for a show in New York and there's financial pressure. And it's sort of about everything that's both endearing and infuriating about being an artist. Yes. The complete self-absorption and disconnection from every other responsibility. And his wife is an amazing artist herself, not just with his stuff, because they collaborate and she does incredible uh, acting performances, but her fine art, like her, I think it's uh, oil paints are really amazing. And so the exciting thing is that we're announcing is we're actually releasing today a podcast series by Brock. It's the first podcast. He's worked in a lot of mediums. He does He's video done film art. And video and so this directing. is sort of like it's sort of a mystery and it's narrative in its way, but it's almost like video art, but it's an audio. And I love love it. Yeah, it's like a sound installation sort of experience. Like if you listen to this podcast series, it's called Vague Data. Um, subscribe now. It's going to be coming out. You know, he's going to be rolling them out over the coming months. They are, there's something you definitely want to put on headphones and just lose yourself in. And I think what's so exciting for me is when we started, we did together and talked about releasing work that was, we didn't even know what it was, the kind of stuff that we'd want to put out on our network and the way it's coming out with, we have Jello Biafra's podcast and we have Brock's podcast. These are exactly the kind of things that I was hoping for, but couldn't 
actually visualize. You know, when you sort of are I like, know. it's like you're dreaming vaguely, vague data, and then it comes in its final form and you're like, oh my God, this is. I, and it's I, all sort of parts of our psyche, but you could never, I mean, I don't know, you can't really put out every aspect of your psyche, but these, you know, it's so cool because they're both really up my alley. Yeah. And they're both things that I sort of feel like exist really naturally in, within our orbit. And it feels like a really nice, because so much of what Weirder Together is about is about community and drawing like minds together. And I think for both of us, our vision of what's cool, I mean, we've talked about this before, but we're both quite, we sort of have a high bar for what we expect out of work, but we also don't want snobbishness. Like we want a sort of openness. And so a lot of the people we're, that we're working with and the projects coming out are really they're, they're really playful and experimental in their way. But and, really good. But really good quality. So anyway, know, good, check out Vague Data. Yeah. And it's, also, how about good times will never be the same? It's like a, yeah, if, what did you, how did you react well, to Well, if it was just a movie, like say you turned it, I often, <laughs> I have this desire to like, I'll be watching it on a reality show and I'll think, wow, this would be a great TV show if you could just write down all the dramas. And, and that is, you know, it's, it's a sort of, documentary almost but it would be an amazing just narrative film about a marriage about the insecurities of coming into a family he feels insecure about her being in her family like he's trash compared to them and he's sort of too much and also he wants to experiment and feel free and he's worried about being judged in his work too. yeah and they he and his wife do have magic together when they work together and they go very far and very deep and dark in certain ways and but there's also you know how to support each other and feel safe and I don't know it just it 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 was like actually very straightforward narrative with a beginning middle and the end and an end like a Hollywood movie but it's very out there yeah and that's I think in some ways I think when work is experimental and it's successful it has a quality of childlike play to it and. Child, this is this is just a theory. I'm making this up on the spot, but it feels to me that the archetypes of storytelling, of having a beginning, a middle, and end, having a hero's journey, having resolution, kids innately understand that about how stories should be told. So when things are open and playful, they are satisfying at like an archetypal level, even if they're really out there. And really do you remember weird. playing as a kid? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What did you play? Um, well, I was big into Masters of the Universe. Right. I loved Castle Grayskull and everything and uh, Voltron. I liked all those sort of like things. Um, but then I remember like moving into, we had this sort of these hills across the road and on a really windy day, I'd go out there in my cowboy kind of outfit. You know, this is not at my bar mitzvah with the bolo tie. This is pre pre <laughs> earlier days. But the cowboy fantasy was alive from and, early and on. And through heavy metal, through like, it wasn't through like proper Westerns. Yeah, no, I actually think my love of heavy metal began with my love of cowboys. I think I probably loved cowboys first. Oh, okay. And then I went, hey, I found the perfect type of music to get into where I can live out my cowboy fantasy and be into Bon Jovi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just remember a lot of, I feel like there was a lot of collapsing and on the floor and being in sort of a faint or dying or something in our fantasies. I don't even know. I did have a funny- Oh, so melodrama, just sort of- I don't know. When I was a little kid, we had a, 
a sort of game going that we were scientists. I've told you about this, I'm sure. And Is it to do with the button on the back of your neck? No, no, or that's whatever? different. That's different. <laughs> we'll save that story for no. This was though we the fantasy was that we were doing work that was so serious and so dangerous that the world's safety kind of depended on us. <laughs> so part of our responsibility in the serious work that we had would be not to have too much fun at oh, school. So okay. if we saw the other one laughing or anything or just enjoying themselves, we'd <laughs> turn to you each other and just be... give a little knowing look like, hey, hey, calm co- down. Cool it, cool, cool it. it. You got a lot of weight on your shoulders. You should be keep keep your mind on the big work. Right. Basically just a fantasy of being a stressed grown up. <laughs> <laughs> I had this fantasy that I would somehow get beheaded in front of my class, like what somehow and be bleeding to death and but be brave at the same time. And everybody would be around me saying- I think you'd die instantly. I don't know, I know if you'd be bleeding to But that's death. why yeah. I said yeah. somehow. Yes. And my friends would be saying, look at Ioni, she's so brave. Oh, so brave. And it's it's that was like my, that would make me feel so good if everyone thought she's so brave. I don't know where I got that from. But now they do. Well, now, now I need they to, look at you I and need you to are be brave. more brave. But um, also I used to do in the same class- I loved Mae West, and I used to say to the boys, like in fifth grade, hey, big fella, why don't you come up and see me sometime? Thinking it was sexy slash amazing. Wait, how old were you? Fifth grade. So 10? Yeah, and like, hey, like doing Mae West. I mean, firstly, I don't know. They probably knew in those days... In the seventies, our little boys loved Mae West. No, in but, the 70s. I mean, but like a lot of things were on TV, you know that. Was you this know. before or after you invited your brother's friends downstairs to do the striptease? For oh, them? right, that was probably around the same time. I loved like Shirley MacLaine. I'd probably seen Sweet Charity, and I wanted to do Hey Big Spender. And I remember I had some, yeah, somehow I had really cute leotard that had like it was like old fashioned looking, not sexy. And I wanted to be like that kind of sexy, like from Sweet Charity, not like girls, girls, girls. And I remember more, my, that's more my speed. My brother just being like, mm, "No, gross. <laughs> We're not coming down to watch you strip tease." But it was like I thought it would be just like Gypsy, you know, like Natalie Wood. I love the credit you gave to the, that audience, that small audience. You really thought they'd take that journey with I you. I actually give them credit that they didn't because that would be gross. <laughs> and true. I'd have a terrible memory of like, ew, remember when my brother and his friends watched me dance? Like, yeah. thank God they were like, gross. Pete Holmes has a bit about that. I, when I did a gig with him recently, he did a thing about how being attracted to children is so great. He's like, even when I was a child, I wasn't attracted exactly. to children. <laughs> I know. That's uh, what my friend, when shaving vagina hair became popular, she was like, that doesn't even look good on a little kid. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's time we wrap it up. The beautiful babies have stuck with us. They're going to go check out Vague Data. We'll put the link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And um, these beautiful babies. It's quite a journey we're on together. Yeah, it really is quite a journey. You can email us at weirdertogetherpod at gmail.com. Send us a voice note if you'd yeah, like to be on the on. podcast. And rate and review the pod and just um, get that Shirley MacLaine Mae West energy going this week. Hey, beautiful babies. Come <laughs> and see us sometime. I'll work on my impersonation. and uh, Oh, and next week maybe we'll get you drunk and you'll tell a story of history that's suggested by the, uh, the listeners. Okay, sounds good. All right. Big love, y'all. Mwah. Together we're weirder, we're weirder together.